Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. And, George, I, did I misunderstand uh, the news there? You said there's going to be some something related to berries, so is raspberries and blueberries going to cause problems? Oh, Mike, 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 you're not watching the you're not watching the weather. Come Are on, Whoa, you're supposed to you're supposed to be breathlessly anticipating the remnants of Hurricane Barry. Oh, Hurricane Barry, I like Barry we were... Gibb. You remember the Bee Gees? You've oh, got the sure. same haircut. Sure, right, <laughs> exactly. Well, see, I got confused by berries. <laughs> Those strawberries and raspberries are very popular this time of year. Very true. Thanks. Yep. Yes, folks, and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, and you can call right now if you like and get in line, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, comments, or concerns. Saturday mornings, we get together and have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your backyard. Oh, those neighbors, why did they do that? I'm trying to screen them. How about your front yard? I like the welcome home to be a little bit more pizzazzy. Your side yards. When I walk along the side of the house, all I hear is the roar of the air conditioner. Ooh. What can I do about that? Probably nothing. Scott Mosby, that's who to call about that. Anyway, specialty garden space, taste of the tropics and houseplants, potting mixes, potting soils, improving your soil, shearing, pruning, bugs, diseases, Speaking of bugs, finally it's summertime for sure. The cicadas are out and they're screeching. It's, you know, it's nice to hear. I haven't seen any exoskeletons attached to the trees in my neighborhood yet, but uh, I love to collect those when I was a kid. We'd always get so many of them. I guess in Ellisville at that time, there was huge numbers of locusts, as we call them then, but they're cicadas. We get them off the tree trunks and branches and put them all over our clothes and then go running into the house and freak my mother out. So anyway, uh, good decisions. That's what it's all about. So use the information I share with you to make the final judgment. And remember, my garden path is not the only one to take. And this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your car, your home, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another important player in this game is Alex. He's producing today. This is probably like four or five weeks in a row. And I'm Mike Miller, and I've been doing the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations and on the Internet. And I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. Also, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk, where I come to your home and I address problems that you have found and also keep my eyes open for things that may be impacting your landscape that you haven't really realized what's going on. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage is my, you'll find my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. 
I always, you know, wake up. I never really kind of have any idea where I'm going to take my good gardening stroll. So today I thought I'd head to my old neighborhood before we moved to Ellisville. And I went down Shaw Boulevard, past the Botanical Garden, and at the corner of Lawrence and Shaw, I was greeted by S-M-O-S, Dragon Grove. That's St. Margaret's of Scotland. Is that Margaret or Mary? St. Margaret's of Scotland garden area. It's embraced by a wrought iron fence. And there are six feet plus high milkweeds reaching out across the sidewalk in certain areas. Some are well potted. Some are still in flower. And uh, playing along are some bee balms, some purple cone flowers, black-eyed Susans. And earlier in the season, there was daylilies blooming and columbine. There's columbine seed there. I thought, hmm, maybe I should take some of this columbine seed. And I thought, nah, I'll let it fall and see what happens and expand the colony there. Also, there's signage that explains what is happening. Urban Education Alliance. And it just sort of explains how this whole thing fits together in relationship to St. Margaret's of Scotland's, you know, school, church, and everything else. So uh, there's a neat building. They've really done a great job with it, kind of make it look like an old farmhouse type thing or farm barn, really. And uh, the downspouts are connected to rain barrels. There's picnic tables and benches offering kids and parents places to sit and talk about the corn that's growing there, the orange flower trumpet vine, the purple morning glory, the gourds going over a metal archway. Many plants were budded and still waiting to explode, so the gardening season is not over here. An arbor showing the Earth's continents. Yes, that's really kind of a cool thing. Composting bins. Painting on the concrete wall depicts the dragon's grove. There's robins and sparrows and other birds that are chiming. A grateful message. Then across the Shaw is where St. Margaret's of Scotland's Catholic School, which was established in 1918. Uh, it's getting a little bit, uh, you know... I guess late. I don't wear a watch or anything. I kind of just use my brain to say it's time to go. So it was time to go, but it was fun to head back into my old neighborhood. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, just be careful out there because, as we know, in the last few days, even though the weather people say, oh, it's going to be cooler and less humid and everything else, I don't know. I think they kind of do that to sort of psychologically help everybody make it through this because this has been pretty brutal stretch. I mean, we're not having the rain like we did. We are having those pop-up thunderstorms. They do not rain enough, though, to do anything to beneficial for your landscape. It's kind of like running an irrigation system for 15 or 20 minutes you know, once a day, that doesn't do anything. It barely penetrates this, you know, top quarter inch of your soil. So it doesn't get to where the root systems are at all. So pop-up storms, you know, the other day, I, I guess it was on Wednesday, I was out there and a pop-up storm came up like really very fast. And it, I mean, it really poured for like 10 or 15 minutes, like I said. But then I knew I still had to water the, you know, many of my, other, my many of my plants in my landscape and in the pots as well. So... Don't let those storms, you think, well, it's rained, so I don't have to worry about the, you know, watering my plants. We've had a lot of rain earlier, but now that sort of impact is gone. So just be conscious that uh, your plant material needs to be hydrated. 
So, where are we headed, Alex? We are going to go to St. Charles and talk to Frank. Hi, Frank. Yep, Mike. Yes, go ahead. Uh, hey, listen, my wife, uh, uh, we just planted two azalea plants. Uh, I tried, I, I was kind of surprised because when I uh, took them out of the uh, plastic containers, uh, the other plants are usually packed in uh, more or less like a, a topsoil mix. And and these were packed in uh, um, almost like wood chips. And I, I told my wife, I said, well, hey, wait a minute. Uh, maybe that's telling me uh, that these plants don't need a lot of water because they look really healthy. And so we went in to look up in some books I have, and of course, it falls under rhododendrons, and uh, I, it it didn't give me any anything to really go by in terms of uh, the care for the plants, whether they shouldn't be watered frequently or they should. Plus, they're next to the deck. We have a lot of big trees here, and it's only getting partial sun. So I'm going to shut up if you don't mind, and maybe you can help me out here. Basically, I've never heard of uh, azaleas being grown in bark. I mean, orchids, yes, azaleas, no. So I'm a little concerned about, you know, where, the, where those were grown. They could look very healthy, but many things coming out of, let's say, production nurseries look healthy. And if it's a new delivery, it's going to continue to look good. You know, and especially if it's a year-round garden center, they're going to take care of it. But azaleas, they need to be hydrated. So if you've got a lot of trees, understand, and you've planted them this time of year, this is really a difficult time for them to get themselves established, you know, to go into wintertime to the dormancy. So you took a big chance on, you know, planting them. Hopefully everything will work out. But also, if you've got a lot of trees in your yard, the tree roots are going to compete with your azaleas if they're any place close to where the tree roots, the feeder roots may be. And the feeder roots of a tree go uh, 10 to 15% beyond the drip line of the tree. So, in other words, the furthest extension of the branches. So, azaleas are not rhododendrons, are not easy to grow here. So, you take a chance, and maybe it'll turn out you know, well. Hopefully, you dug the hole correctly, three times the diameter of the root ball, but only about 80% is deep. So, in other words, the top of the root ball is going to be above the surrounding ground. The worst thing for azaleas is too much water. Any broadleaf evergreen, whether it's a holly, whether it's a boxwood or anything else, they can handle a whole lot of water. There is one variety or a couple of varieties that can. But uh, for the most part, the, generally the ones that are sold for landscapes cannot take a whole lot of water, but they cannot get you know dehydrated either. So it's just, I mean, it's going to be sort of a roll of the dice on if we haven't had an inch of rain in the last you know seven days, then make sure that you hydrate them very well. Don't just go out there and spray them for 5 or 10 or 15 seconds or a minute. That's not enough. So water them less often, but for longer periods of time. That sounds great. That's uh, that's going to work well, Mike, and uh, then I'll let uh, nature take its course. Here. Right. And then also fertilizing, it's probably a little bit late to be doing some fertilizing, but next year, let's assume that they've done well, they made it through the wintertime, the fall, and everything else. Start feeding them, let's say, sometime around mid-March, then feed them again in April, then feed them again in May, and then last feeding is in June. And make sure it's a fertilizer for acid-loving plants because it's going to have some of the essential nutrients to keep the foliage on the azaleas or any broadleaf evergreen looking healthy. Okay, well, it, just a real quick uh, addition. Uh, 
we do have a lot of trees. They're uh, they're far enough away, I think, from uh, the drip line of the tree. Uh, my question is sunshade. Uh, it's not going to get full sun by any stretch of the imagination. Just some partial sun at uh, maybe a few hours, you know, through the day. Is that detrimental there? No, not at all. I mean, they can take some varieties do better and they can handle full sun. Some of them would prefer not to be in the full sun all day long, especially during the heat of the day between, let's say, 10 and 4. But uh, for the most part, part shade is a, you know, is a good circumstance for them. Well, thanks so much, Mike, and you have a great day then. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to go to Florissant and talk to Jerry. Hi, Jerry. How are you? Hey, Mike. I'm okay. I was just wondering, can I put down weed and feed on my zoysia right, right about now? Uh, Yeah, you can. Just be careful. Make sure that uh, temperature-wise, read the label on the weed and feed type. Is it a spray or are you putting down granular? It's uh, granular. Okay. So just read the label and find out temperature relationships because sometimes it should not cause a problem, but because of the heat factor and the sun factor, you could be damaging your zoysia as a result of that. Now, do you have a major broadleaf weed problem? Well, I just, it's kind of getting there now, yeah. Okay. So again, you can apply it. Just read the label before you do so. Okay. And All right. Then, thank you. Yeah, and then, you know, read the label in relationship to once you apply it, do you need to water it in basically immediately to get it down into the surface to to get it to start working to get rid of those broadleaf weeds? Okay, thank you. Yep. Now we're going to head over to West County and talk to Carol. Hello, Carol. Yes, Mike, I have two questions. One is about uh, we have burning bushes in our yard, but we have one bush now that's some of the leaves are turning red. Is that from too much water or what? No, it's just weather-related. I actually saw, I was at, you know, at an appointment, and uh, on the way back, I was just driving through a neighborhood. This one was in St. Peter's. And um, consequently, I saw this whole row of burning bush, and they weren't, the, let's say, the classic fall color red, but they were starting to you know, turn color, and it's just relationship to the weather and why these are doing it, and one's maybe across the street or not. Who knows? It's just a, it's, okay. it's nature. Okay. My other question is I have two gardenia bushes, and they're, they're doing really good. Um, I mean, I have... 75 buds on each one, and one is blooming. Now, they're they're getting really big. Can I cut them back at all? Well, to be honest with you, the fact that they're getting really big, you should pat yourself on the back and take a selfie picture with them because the majority of people, let's say 90% of the people that have gardenias, do not have good luck with them. So I would minimize doing anything at all beyond what you've been doing in the past. So you could prune them, but uh, hmm, I would say leave them alone. Because, I mean, the one has a lot of, uh, over the winter, I bring them inside over the winter, and the one has a lot of dead in there. I guess I should just trim out the dead. Absolutely. Get rid of any kind of branches that don't have any foliage on them at all. And beyond that, I would not do any pruning per se. Okay. All righty. I mean, they're they're beautiful. You're lucky. It must be the right place. So right. Well, okay. I, I should say you're not lucky necessarily. You're skillful. <laughs> well, thank you. Certainly. All righty. I enjoy your show. All right. Well, thank you. 
And now we're going to head over to Wildwood and talk to Ed. All right. Wildwood, Wildwood. Hi, Ed. Hi, Mike. Uh, enjoy your show. I've got what I'm pretty sure is patches of lawn fungus um, in our grass. I, I've treated it a couple of weeks ago. I put down the granular stuff. What I'm wondering is um, how long does that take to recover, and or will it recover? Will it green back up again, or um, what? Am I do I need to do anything else, or or what? Or, or will I have to reseed that? Yeah, basically, any let's say grass blades that are brown will never green up again themselves. The only thing you can hope is the crown is in still good shape, and then it could produce some new blades coming up from the crown. So in other words, the crown is where the grass blades and the root system meet. But more than likely, you're going to have to wait and just sort of live with it as it is, and hopefully you've got the whatever disease, virus, fungus, bacteria that cause a problem under control, and then you're going to be doing some overseeding with seed starter-type fertilizer in, let's say, late August, early September. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Thanks for I mean, it's an unfortunate <laughs> circumstance, but, uh, you know, that's kind of how it is. Is Are you bluegrass or are you fescue? It's a mix. I've got some fescue in there. It's it, it, We're new to this house. I don't know what. The lawn okay. wasn't in very good shape when right. we bought it. I don't know what all is in there. So do you cut your own grass? Yes. Make sure that each time you cut, you turn the mower on its side, if you can, unless you have a riding mower. I don't know. Maybe in Wildwood you have a larger yard. I have a riding mower. Yeah. But at least, you know, take some uh, a portion of nine parts water, one part bleach, and spray the mower blades. Because if you don't, you could be spraying, spreading that fungus around with your mower. So each time you finish mowing, just clean the blades. And if you can't spray underneath there, just take you know that mixture of water and bleach and wipe the blades off. What was the mixture again? Uh, one part bleach, nine parts water. Okay, okay, I will. I will do that. I'll just get under there with a tank sprayer and spray it. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Thanks for your help. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, the fungus problems, they're brutal, and uh, there's no getting around it. No. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Good luck. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Okay, we're going to head to Ellisville and talk to Jason. Hey, Jason. Hey, Mike. Good morning. Good morning. I have an area around my garden, and it just it goes crazy with every ivy, honeysuckle, poison ivy there's there's kudzo and i go in there every year myself and i i spray you know i've sprayed roundup i really try to just keep it down and i i can't i don't like the chemicals around there anyway and i just end up with a bunch of dead brown ivy to to then deal with and i wanted to know what your if you've had any experience with uh there's a service in wildwood that rents goats goats on the go and they bring goats out and somehow pen them in, uh, is this a popular thing, or is this a, something you've had any experience with? I've had no experience with that, and I would not trust a goat to eat poison ivy, to be honest with you. Now, when you're spraying the poison ivy and you're saying you're using Roundup, are you using Roundup for killing woody plants, or are you using regular Roundup? There's a total difference. Oh, I, I didn't know that. I just used the regular Roundup yeah, that see, I have around the house. Yeah, that's not strong enough to kill the, the plants that you're talking about. 
So ideally, so there's a step up. Yes, it'll save poison ivy. It'll save Roundup poison ivy killer, but it will kill all kinds of wood. You know, many woody plants. But if especially formulated and a step up to be stronger to be able to get rid of things that are not just herbaceous things. You know, let's say problematic plants that are woody plants. So in other words, they have trunks and everything else. Does it? Does it keep them from coming back, well, or do I have to do this every year? No. In reality, if you get ideally, let's say you could find where all this stuff is coming up out of the ground, you would cut it and then paint that roundup right onto that, let's say one foot stub that you've left where you've cut it off. But if you're just going to okay. spray it on the foliage, roundup is a systemic. So in other words, it's absorbed into the plant system, goes down through the vascular system and then into the root system and kills it. But if these are large, major plants, and you've been fooling with them for several years, it's probably going to yeah. take you know, one application is not going to get rid of it. It's going to take several applications to finally get it you know, gone. But you know, short of that, that's about the only thing you're going to be able to do, other than getting in there and digging the entire root system is out. Oh, goodness. Okay. But you know, well, as, far as, rent, as far as renting goes, yeah. to me, that sounds like a joke. Well, I appreciate it, Mike. <laughs> it may work great, but I can't see you know goats eating poison ivy. Sorry. Well, it's kind of fun to watch. Yeah, that would be. That I would. would be, I would imagine. Yeah, the entertainment factor would be better than actually expecting them to do anything. They're going to leave them okay, there. For, well, yeah, they're going to leave them there for months. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think they they push them around with a. You know, I don't know if there's a goat herder or how they keep the goats on the go. You know, uh, maybe the guy comes with it. I'm I'm yeah. not sure, but I like the environmentally friendly angle on that, Mike. So that was my uh, uh, why I ended up down the Google hole finding goats on the go. But uh, I I appreciate your you know I always like to get your opinion. Yeah, and if it works, you know, be sure and call back because I mean. I could be enlightened. I'm certainly not saying I know everything. I don't even know half the things I should know. Well, if I get them out there, I'll uh, I'll give you a goat uh, goat on the go update. All right, thanks. I appreciate uh, it. Thank you, Mike. Yep. I appreciate it. Yep. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, as much as I love working in my yard, I limit myself to two days a week. It's usually Wednesdays and Saturdays. Saturdays after my appointments, Wednesdays after my walk and talks and all that stuff. And uh, I'll tell you, the last couple of weeks, it's been very difficult uh, to, you know, apply any kind of herbicide because of these pop-up thunderstorms. Because the herbicide has to be on the plant material to be effective for probably, you know, say within an hour. But I always think a couple hours is going to be better. So I this year I've had, you know, I have a nut grass, nut grass, nut sedge, uh, exp- you know, not explosion, but I have little small patches of it. Historically, I always use sedge ender to get rid of it, but I haven't been able to apply it. The other two weeds that I have problems with this year, each year it seems to kind of change a little bit. Where the seeds are coming in, sometimes I think it's the birds. You know, sometimes I think it's on the feet of who knows what, the neighborhood feral cats or whatever. But uh, crabgrass is one, and also the spurges. I've had, you know, some problems with the spurges. I do a lot of hand, you know, digging 
to get rid of the weeds, but also I use the herbicides as well. But the herbicides I haven't been able to apply because of the crazy rain cycles. All right, let's go ahead, head to Centralia and talk to Bill. Hi, Bill. How are you? Hi, Mike. How are you today? Very good. <clears throat> My son has uh, about 30 meat goats and has had them for years. And he used, uh, when they first moved their first place, they had a lot of the uh, poison ivy and stuff. And he uh, used his goats and they cleared it out. And then he went in and sprayed the woods. Wow. So it does work. Okay, great. So does, is he one <laughs> of the goats on the go? <laughs> Yeah, no, no, but, uh, well, they eventually go, but not to a good price, but anyway, uh, they, uh, they prefer, uh, when you're feeding them, not like a horse, they prefer, uh, some kind of knobby old weed or anything, button weed or anything, they really enjoy it, so. You I know, just thought I'd add that. It'd be worth the investment, and then you can go in and spray what was left, which is probably not too much. Right. So now, are the goats eating, actually, the let's say the woody stumps or trunks coming up out of the ground for, like, poison ivy? Oh, yeah. So they, they oh, gnaw yeah. on that stuff and everything? Yeah. Okay. That, that's a new, then, one, you know, new one to me. And then they when they uh, go through it like that... Uh, what is uh, it's stomped down real tight because they have such small feet and they move around all the time. So right, it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting just to watch it, but it is interesting to watch them. Yeah, I mean they have to. They go on their back feet as high as they can go well, to reach great. stuff that's hanging down. Yeah, that's great, but I mean the. You know, that's going to get the above-ground growth, but that doesn't get rid of the root systems. So, to me, that would mean that poison ivy can come back, even though the goats have eaten it. Yeah, but then he could go in and spray, that's when I he guess. goes. Okay, so that's when he goes in and uses an herbicide to yeah. actually kill the below-ground growth. Yeah, that's what I would say. Okay, great. Well, thanks. Thanks for the insight. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm, now I know more about goats than I have. <laughs> Me too, to be honest with you. I like the miniature goats at the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to head to Shrewsbury and talk to Judy. Hi, Judy. Hey, Judy, are you uh, Mike? there? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm here. Mike? Yes. Yeah, we have a, a Bradford pear uh, alongside the driveway, and it's it's throwing off brown leaves. Is it dead? Uh, probably not. I would say if it's just individual leaves... And it's not, let's say, stems or branches that are totally brown, all the leaves on it. Individual leaves, it's just they're dropping them because it had the excessive amount of rain, produced a whole lot of foliage, and now because we're kind of heading into a drier spell, it's just dropping leaves. So don't worry about it. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, this is going to happen to all kinds of trees. Uh, I mean, the river birch for sure. But a lot of you know a lot of the other ones are starting to drop some foliage just because it's getting drier and drier, and they can't afford to support, let's say, all those leaves or all that foliage. Right, right. Okay. Well, thank you. Yep. Good luck. Thanks. Bye. And what you need to be doing in your own yard is taking a look around and checking for the weed situation because you go after the weeds. 
When they're smaller, they're much easier to control whether you're going to hand dig them, whether they're going to use an herbicide, whether it's a little bit late for a pre-emergent. But get ready to get those pre-emergents down next month for all those cool season weeds. So we'll be talking about that more and more as we get closer to the time to be putting the pre-emergent down from mid to late August. Okay, we're going to head to St. Louis and talk. Well, we're here in St. Louis uh, and talk to Lonnie. Hi, Lonnie. Good morning, Mike. Uh, love our program that you facilitate. Great, great program. Mike, here's my problem. It started about a year ago. Uh, in fact, it started last year. I have soysia grass in both the back and front yard. And in the front yard, half of it started uh, patching brown and just dying out, like psoriasis, I guess you might say. And I thought possibly it was a cold winter we had last the year before last. Now it seems like it's gotten worse, and I don't know what to do to correct it. It's like half of the front yard has got a real problem, and the other half seems like it's okay, and the back is okay. The backyard, I don't have this this, uh, patchy brown uh, look, and it's dying out, Mike. And I was wondering, is it a fungus, or who should I call that could look at it? How can you help me? Uh, Basically, what you can do is you could take a look at yourself, well, first of all, let me ask you, how about the history? How old is this zoysia? Oh, goodness. It's, uh, well, here, here's the interesting thing. I had part of it replaced two years ago. That was, uh, had, it was real weedy and so forth, so I had part of it replaced. The rest of it, uh, but the new part that was replaced, as well as the older, which Mike could be uh, 20 years old, uh, they, they both are having the same problem. Okay. So there's there's an actually an insect called chinch, C-H-I-N-C-H, chinch bug, which is causing some problems with the zoysias. And then there is, you know, a fungus in the zoysias as well. Uh, are you fertilizing? How are you watering? You know, are you watering? I fertilized it with uh, the fertilizer you're to use on uh, zoysia grass uh, earlier. Uh, uh, not too early, about, oh, I guess four weeks ago. Okay. Five weeks ago, maybe. Right. And it didn't, it seemed to, some seemed to get real green and the rest just seemed like it still wanted to lay there and die, so to speak. Yeah, it sounds like to me you probably have a fungus problem, but you may have the chinch bugs. I would dig out like a one foot square. Okay. uh, That's half brown and half green and take it to your favorite garden center and have them take a look at it. Okay, please help me. Give me a good garden center that you would recommend. Um, Pretty much any of them that are year round. In other words, not the big box ones that shut down, you know, for I understand. So any year round garden center should be able to answer your you know, answer your questions. Okay. And just have well. them look because the chinch bugs are really hard to see. And uh, basically they should be able to tell you if it's fungus, if it's chinch bugs, or it's a combination of both. Okay. Well I I really appreciate it, Mike, and again, love your program. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Okay, now we're gonna talk to somebody who called in. From Goats on the Go. Her name is Erica. Hi, Erica. Hi. <laughs> well, I'm calling because someone def- told me I need to call in to defend my goat's honor. <laughs> well, somebody's already someone called in they- you know, and defended yep. goats, but not necessarily your goats. <laughs> <laughs> well, my goats are professional goats, so there ah. are a lot of goats out there who cannot do what my goats can do. <laughs> They're a very specific breed, and they are... They do this work, and so they do love poison ivy voraciously. So 
they I've seen it with my own eyes now. I was skeptical at first also, but when I see that that this is applied the way that the goats on the go company does it, it's very effective. We just eliminated 99% of the poison ivy in the backyard of Ladue. So in essence, it doesn't get rid of the root systems though, correct? It cannot, but it weakens the plant so much that it, it uh, you know, it does a lot of damage. So no, the goats aren't digging up the root system. Yeah, I wouldn't think but as no, no, they won't do that. You're right on that part. So <laughs> I didn't to be if, accurate, you're right on that part. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if they were such a hybrid that they could dig down like a dog or something. <laughs> They're not that Get that root but, system. But, you know, that's not how that, you know, when people are uh, going after poison ivy themselves, it's rare that they're digging out the root system also. They just keep taking it off of the head till they weaken it. So right. Essentially, that's what the goats are doing without then you getting poison ivy yourself. Yeah. So then do you have to bring them back every year for a couple of years to finally get rid of, you know, because basically nutrients and moisture come up from the root system, go to the yeah. foliage. The foliage uses the sun to create chlorophyll, which is food. So when there's less foliage, then the, you know the root system will finally slowly, but sh- you know, implode. So that's what you're you exactly. know, shooting for. Yeah, okay. that's what we're promoting. And yes, for complete elimination, we do promote that the goats do regrazing. But what I've noticed on on a one grazing, they defoliate plants like ninety five percent of defoliated. So wow. like when people are wanting to attack honeysuckle. That you know, I know we're switching the honeysuckle, but you know, I watch them defoliate these plants, and then you can access those roots, and you could even still apply some chemicals. But like with the poison ivy, I had a lady who was very allergic and also did not want to apply chemicals, so it was a great solution for her. She was very happy. Well, great. Now, are these goats immigrants? Are we needed to get some kind of? <laughs> Uh, they're they're native Missourians. Well, I I digress. Actually, they are from Texas originally. Uh, the farmer that I got them from got them from Texas a couple of years ago, and there's some babies and offshoots. So offshoots. So some of them are native Missourians, but they're a herd that's been doing this kind of work. So they're they're specialized to this work. They right. uh, forage on natural things. So if I took like I actually have a little pen of favorite fancy baby goats that are bottle fed and we bring them alfalfa on a tray and they cannot do this work. So if you're, if people go, Oh, I'm just going to get one pet goat and do it. It's it's not the same thing. And we also utilize mob grazing mentality. So (laughs) it's a large herd and we put them in a smaller area and target it in people's yards. And so they are very uh, aggressive when they go after the plants in the space we put them in. Well, thanks for the insight. I've never heard about goats (laughs) on the go. (laughs) <laughs> well, and yeah, somebody the other day on the radio said, and you could just look on Craigslist and get them. And so that's, uh, they, this is actually a pretty professional company, originally out of Ames, Iowa. And, and they do want to make sure that we're doing this in a professional way. And it's not just pulling up to somebody's house with a truck and truck. You know, it's just, it's it's done professionally. And, and we do come out and, and uh, treat it as a professional service. So. Great. Well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Sure. <laughs> Wow. (laughs) Mike Miller, KM Walks Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, back to the phones we go. Uh, There my mic's on. Okay, we're going to go and talk to Donna in Overland. Hi, Donna. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Sure. I have a, a small, I guess, the smaller version of the Japanese maple. Mm-hmm. And earlier this year, 
in the springtime, it's had a lot of scraggly um, uh, branches on it, but I still had three-fourths of it that was okay. Well, now, I guess as the heat has come and stuff, now it looks really dry and the leaves are all wrinkled up. And Mm. I've got a lot of extra, I I got a lot of branches that are bare right now um, since the spring. Can you give me any information on what this could be? Uh, It's probably weather-related, and it's not something that just happened because of this year. It's been a slow decline that maybe wasn't quite as obvious as it was happening. But, uh, I mean, it's just something uh, that's nature-related, and there's nothing that you can do. I mean, you can leave it in place and see how it looks next spring, but to me it sounds like it's on the downhill slide. Oh. How, How old is it? And it's probably about um, seven or eight years old. Oh, so that's not really that old. Once again, no. you know, I mean, some of them will last a great long time, but other ones don't last quite as long. But uh, is this the one that kind of looks like an umbrella? Yeah, but yeah. It's, like I said, it's a smaller one. It's, right. it's, it's only about, you know, two and a half, three foot tall. Well, that's, the height is already set when you buy it. So it's, they're oh. never really going to get any taller than when you buy them. Oh, okay. For the most part, they're going to get wider, but not taller. I didn't know that. Okay, that's interesting. So fertilizer or something like that, it's not probably going to do any good to it at this point. No. Anything, yourself, your pets, or anything that's not feeling well or doing well, food is not the best thing to do. Just sort of let, sort of like hopefully let it stabilize itself and then it will recover. But this doesn't sound good. Okay. Well, I'll know that next spring then if it looks pretty sad whenever it starts next year then. Right. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yep. Good luck. And, okay. uh yeah, folks, uh, everybody that's online, uh, hanging on, we're not going to be able to get to you this hour, but we do have, I think, don't we have a second hour of the Garden Hotline? As far as I know, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so just, you know, watch everything very carefully. Do the watering the best way you can. Make sure that you're getting an inch of water on your landscape every seven days. It's really crucial. Because hydrated root systems make the above-ground growth as healthy as possible, but is not going to eliminate the fact that certain trees, shrubs or something, is going to drop some leaves. There's no getting around it. We're heading into like the, the extreme worst part of the year. Extreme from the standpoint the plant material doesn't really care for it. During the wintertime, yes, it can be extreme too, but the plants are asleep. Now they're fighting nature from the standpoint of we're not asleep, we're trying to survive, and good luck. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Welcome to the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trowel Hour, which I will be giving you shortly. But right now, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Alex will be answering the phone. All he needs from you is where you're calling from and your name. What you're calling about or anything else, he could care less, to be honest. He's very productive and everything else, but he doesn't need to know because, you know, I just hear it from you. That's how it all works. So uh, you can call with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. Comments maybe about goats on the go. (laughs) Whoa! And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, cares, ups and downs, and all arounds. For your annuals, your bulbs, your edibles, your ground covers, your house plants, your lawns, your perennials, your roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. 
I like sharing my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, or opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. As I said before, across the big board is Alex, and he's producing. And uh, during the week, I spend and weekends doing landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. I come to your home, answer the questions that you may have, and then also take a look for other things that may be impacting your landscape one way or the other, you know, positively or, let's say, negatively. And that's the walk and talks. If you'd like to have me come to your home, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage. That's where my email address and phone number are listed. The tip of the trowel is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting. 636-861-3344. This is kind of a different tip of the trowel. Tracy's car had a, let's say, wardrobe malfunction. And what does that mean? Well, she had a flat tire. And she had to get to the Y. She teaches swimming. So she had a very difficult circumstance. But she had two different people that stepped in and helped her. One is actually a mother of one of her students that she teaches at the Y. Her name is Tracy Thomas, which is actually Tracy's Thomas's my wife's name, the coincidence. But this is Tracy Thomas Bell. And what she did is she stepped up and helped Tracy, you know, with a ride and everything else. So that was just it was wonderful of her. So a tip of the trial goes out to Tracy Thomas Bell. And also then at the Firestone at virtually 55 and Loftborough, the place where Tracy took her car to have the tire replaced, actually, Eric did it. You know, he was very gracious, very wonderful, and very understanding of Tracy's circumstance. So the tip of the trial goes out to Tracy Thomas Bell and Eric at the Firestone at uh, Loftborough and Highway 55. So again, Tracy had a, a malfunction of her wardrobe, her car's wardrobe, with a flat tire. She went out to leave to go to the swimming lessons, and all of a sudden she said, oh, my God, you know, it's flat. So we just, uh, you know, she played it by ear. She did great. I'm proud of the way she handled the whole thing. So tip of the trial goes out to her as well. Also, a tip of the trial goes out to Henry Shaw. Henry Shaw, he founded Missouri Botanical Garden. And coming up really soon, I believe it's July 26th, is his birthday. He'll be 219 years old. And who could party better than a 219-year-old person? Yeah, so party on with Henry Shaw on his birthday. Now, you might have to go to mobot.org to find out exactly the date in case the 26 is not right. It's free admission. So when you get the free admission, what you can do is go celebrate the museum. That's the Henry Shaw, the Sachs Museum at the Botanical Garden, the paper anniversary, and learn about plants used to make paper around the world. That's called Leafing Through History, Plants That Make Paper. And that runs all the way till the 27th. So you can go free admission on Henry Shaw's birthday. And then one of the things you can see is this leafing through history. So tip of the trial goes out to that. And again, I'm going to repeat uh, the people who helped Tracy out with her flat tire circumstance. That's Tracy Thomas Bell and Eric from the Firestone Tire Dealership in uh, the city of St. Louis. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller 
on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Remember, regardless of the type of lawn you have, do not cut it too short because you can sunburn it, and that could cause problems as well. So just uh, there's all kinds of different things. Lawns are not easy, but they're the most expensive thing we have in our landscape. Okay, we're going to head to Springfield, Illinois, and talk to Mike. Hi, Mike. Hello. Hello, Mike, you there? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Okay. They was talking about uh, the shrubs as far as the honeysuckle and up here it's hedge trees that get out of control, uh-huh. you know, and they're about impossible to kill. But if you cut them off and you can cut them all the way down the ground and you put a product on cordon, it will rot it, stump out and everything. Usually it's four inches across. It'll rot it out within a couple of years and it'll never come back. Right. It sure does. But so if somebody is, you know, like that guy was kind of wanting to get it done quicker than later, and you said something about cutting the foot and then spraying it with Roundup and stuff, that won't work near as good as this. If you just, all you got to do is get just a little dab on the cambium layer and it'll kill it permanently. All right, great. And for folks that don't know what the cambium layer is, that's actually the true vascular system that's right underneath the bark of the tree. And what's really good about it is it doesn't translocate so you can do that kill that honeysuckle right underneath or the poison ivy right underneath your trees and you don't have to worry about it moving to their root system well that's perfect well thanks for the insight that's all i got all right sounds perfect thank you okay now now we're going to go talk to terry hi terry hello hi yeah i've got a, a a big white oak uh, on the uh, east side of my house. Uh, it's been there for since we moved in, built this house 25 years ago. It's six to eight feet from my house, and right now it's uh, got this white collar of fungus uh, around the base. And uh, I had another one about the same size, about eight yards away, that went down this winter. Of course, it was a, it was a leaner and had a couple of cavities in it. But this is a big tree. It's at 28 inches in diameter, about breast height, and it's about almost 100 feet tall. And uh, I had shades the whole east side of my house, and a lot of trees around it. There's woods all around it, and so it's a, in a tough situation, but uh, just wonder what you thought. As far as in relationship to the fungus that's around the base of the trunk? At the base of the roots, where the roots meet the ground, there's a white fungus that goes. It's probably about 75% around now, and I've scraped away some of that white, and underneath is somewhat the root, the, uh, it's somewhat punky, you know, underneath that. So I've um, uh, had a couple of guys out looking at it. They said, well, you better better take it down, you know. And, right. And uh, I just hate to do it. Uh, it's so healthy. There's it, not a dead limb in it uh, up high, you know. There's I nothing. would say this is more cosmetic, more like a lichen than it is a fungus. I don't think this caused you know, the problem with the other tree. I think this is just part of the growth process. Uh, my scary part from your story that you just told was how close it is to your house. Yeah, it's a, it's about uh, well, six feet from the chimney and eight feet from the house. Actually. Yeah, that's really scary because I it's mean a it's a huge tree and uh, yeah, it just looks so good right now. But it's just in the last couple of years, especially this year with all the rain, at that uh, fungus. And I've scraped a little bit of mulch away from it, you know, and took a pocket knife and pushed down into the wood underneath that fungus, that, that white stuff, and it it's a little bit soft. You know, you know, I I just uh, well, it should be soft, but. I wouldn't, you know, I would not, not scrape it. Make sure you just don't have any mulch piled up on the trunk. 
let the air circulation happen as much as possible, and just keep your fingers crossed that this close to your house it's not impounding, you know, and causing problems to your foundation and things along that line. Any fungicide that I could use? I mean, I, I spray for on my apple trees. I've got, you know, several different types of fungicide that I use on my apples, but I didn't know if that would even touch this well, stuff. Well, you could, but probably what I would do is just get some horticultural vinegar and just spray some vinegar on it. Horticultural vinegar. Right. Or and just, I can get that at a garden place? Or? Yes, right, a year-round garden, a year-round garden center. So, Okay. Hey, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. So you don't think I need to take it out right away, but just... Keep an eye on it and put this vinegar on it, huh? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Hey, thank you very much. You great show. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Okay, okay we're going to head to South County and talk to Nancy. Hi, Nancy. Hi. Good morning. I'm so glad to talk to you. <laughs> uh, we had a beautiful red Menarda bee bomb blowing, growing in our yard, and now it's uh, flowers are gone. Right. My question is... Uh, to deadhead, how far down do I cut? Basically, to deadhead, you just cut the full, cut the flower off. You want to leave as much of the foliage as you can. The problem with Menarda is they get uh, you know powdery mildew, so in other words, like a gray uh-huh. coating on the leaves, mm-hmm. and that kind of limits the amount of let's say food it can make. But uh, there's not too much you can do about that. So just mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you can leave the flowers on. You don't have to cut them off. It's more like you're cutting them off because you don't like to look at spent flowers. Yes, and it's quite a, it's very tall, the long stalk. So it still, still holds that I can only cut the flowers off, right? Yeah, I mean, you can go down a foot or so, especially uh-huh. on longer ones. But you want to leave as much foliage as you can because it's still going to be producing food mm-hmm. even though it's not flowering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it's, it's pretty invasive, too. Oh, yeah. absolutely. It is very invasive. And the other question is, uh, do you know an easy way to discourage those orange road lilies? <laughs> no, not really. Other than really. using an herbicide. But, uh, uh-huh. yeah, you're talking about the daylilies that grow along the roadways? Yes, and they pop up here and there everywhere. Right. So there's not, uh, not too much you can really do. Oh, good. And my last question, that uh, green moss that's uh, coming around the base of the tree, is right. that good or not? It's fine. Does, all okay. it means is that that area is acidic, and that's the it's perfect for the moss. It, the moss doesn't hurt anything whatsoever. Okay, thank you so much. Enjoy so, your show. Well, thank you. Yeah, and the moss, you know, people are going to have moss growing in their grass, in their lawns, and there's not too much you can do. I mean, you can use all these demoss and all these other different products, but it's going to come back. So, Okay, now we're going to head to Harvington, Illinois, and talk to Don. Hi, Don. Hi, Mike. Hi. I have a hydrangea that uh, last year had three blooms on it, and this year none. It's very old. I'm going to guess 25 to 30 years old. Is it because it's too old, or is it lacking something? It's probably too old. <laughs> so in other words, it's huge. Yeah, and looks good. Well, as long as you, I mean, enjoy the foliage. I mean, uh, are you fertilizing at all or anything? I yes, I've put on some. Uh, Fertilizer, yes. Okay. So you've done everything you possibly can. So it's just an age factor. It's just like fruit trees or anything else. They finally, or crab apples, anything that's flowering, they finally get to the point where they can be dysfunctional as far as, you know, the flowering goes. Roses. So, I mean, there is an age, you know, different for specific plants where they just kind of, let's say, lose the ability to, you know, produce flowers. As long as the foliage looks good, just enjoy the foliage. I mean, there's some well, spectacular hydrangeas throughout the, you know, the metropolitan area that are just striking. But there's plenty that have, you know, 
become dysfunctional in relationship to flowers. Well, that's what's happened. It's yeah. gotten too old. Right. All right. Thank you. Well, I mean, as a tribute to though, yeah, I mean, it's you know slowly but surely. Once you see, let's say, the quantity of flowers drop year after year after year, that sort of indicates that it's a you know it's a natural thing related to the hybrid that this hydrangea is. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. Now we're going to head to Winsfield and talk to Shirley. Hi, Shirley. Good morning, Mike. Uh, I have actually three questions. Um, I had a problem with my Japanese maple, just like um, the caller did before, mm-hmm. uh, with the brown leaf. Mine is only about uh, a year old. Ooh. And it's one of those that uh, it doesn't have a lacy leaf, and I think it said it's supposed to go 8 to eight to 10 feet tall. Right. But it's just small now. But when I got it, uh, I had the same problem with the leaves. And they just, almost all of them fell off, and then this started growing a few. And now it's even better. The, the older leaves that look really ratty are still on there, but it's getting some new growth, and it's getting some on the lower part of the trunk, and they're, they're nice and red, but the edges are starting to look bad. What's wrong? Basically, it doesn't have a well-established root system, so it's not able to uptake enough nutrients and moisture to keep everything growing, healthy, and vibrant. So it's related to the amount of roots there are. And then hopefully whoever planted it didn't plant it too low. So in other words, it should be, you know, again, three times the diameter of the root ball, but only about 80% as deep. So the top of the root ball of this Japanese maple should be higher than the surrounding bed space that it's growing in or the lawn that it's growing in. Oh, okay. I will. I will check that. Um, uh, would it hurt to cut off some of these? There's not hardly any what you call dead little limbs on it. Yeah, if there's, there's if there's, there's no leaves. Yeah, if there's limbs that don't have any foliage on them, certainly. I mean, that's called dead wooding. So there's no problem getting rid of that because they're never going to produce any, you know, foliage in the future. Okay, even though they're alive, just no leaves, but yeah. still cut them. Yeah, cut them. Okay. All right, the second thing is another maple, but it's it's the large, um, well, it turns really orange in the fall. Mm-hmm. I can't remember, Sunnyvale is the name of it. Um, when it was uh, put in the ground about, oh, five years ago, it had what I call look like a, it had, I don't know whether you know what I'm talking about, it's like a band had been put around the base of it, and it had kind of grown over the band. Ooh. Um, and That's it had nice. a little, kind of little crack in the, um, in the outer layer of the bark. And they kept telling me it was going to be okay. Well, it, it just kind of got larger and larger. And um, I've not put, a, oh, maybe a half an inch of, of mulch around the trunk. I've just, you know, put it around further out. Uh, but about... Um, a week or two ago, I was pulling that dirt or, or mulch out I was going to put in fresh. And it had a little thing similar to what the, the gentleman was talking about before, the white, uh, or the white um, I don't know, kind of puffy, spongy stuff was around a little bit and had little balls that I had thought of puff balls. But um, they had something on the inside. 
Any idea what that would be? Or if I well, there is puffballs, and those kind of mushrooms, which they are a type of fungus mushroom, they only grow on dead wood. So either they're, they're, they're on your mulch, they came in your mulch, or they're growing on the trunk of your tree because, I mean, if your, your tree's basically being strangled at the base. If it's got something that, you know, it was, you know, who knows what, you know, tied up, supported, something like that in the nursery before they put it in the ground in your landscape, that thing should have been removed way back when. Well, it, it's not on there. When I got the tree, it wasn't, but it okay. had the indifference. The indention was there, like okay. it had grown. Well, then that's not a problem, is if because you know ultimately it should be able to expand beyond that point. Okay, part of the bark is coming loose in that area, um, and those those balls were attached to the base, not to mulch. Okay, then that was basically there's dead wood, you know, right there, or else those fungus mushrooms puffballs would not be growing. That's the only stuff they grow on is dead stuff. Okay. Does that sound like the tree needs to come down? Not it's necessarily, not very... but uh, hopefully, you know, it's young, it's vibrant, it has are the full. It does it look fully foliaged out and everything else. It looks good. Everything okay. except. Yeah. So I mean, any kind of loose bark, just get rid of the loose bark. But beyond that, I just leave it alone. Okay, should I put the uh, vinegar on, like you said, with the other gentleman? Well, that was more or less a cosmetic type thing. The puffballs, you know, you know, it's just not, let's say, a, a white coating like what he had. You're actually seeing, let's say, pr- mushrooms you know, or fungus or whatever. So you yeah, can do that, but uh, I wouldn't bother. There was mushrooms, but there was also white around that area also. Yeah. I wouldn't, again, I think you're, you're overanalyzing this. Okay. As long as the well, tree looks healthy, I would say pull off any loose bark, but beyond that, don't do anything. Okay. I've overanalyzed since I had it because I didn't like that trunk. But hope it will be okay. So I have one more question. Um, I purchased, uh, it's called a Drift Rose, at three of them actually, um, and they're doing okay, not growing very, very fast, but one of them has a, just a, like a little red stem coming out, or it has red leaves on it. Um, I'm hoping it's not a disease that's going to kill the tree, or I mean the bush, but is there, uh, is it okay that, that does that, can I have some of them on there that are red and it's still healthy? Uh, if it's red as normal red growth, a lot of times roses will produce new growth and they'll have a red tint to it. But if it's red and the stem is red, this sounds like rose rosette, which is a major deadly disease. Yes, I had that one time years ago. Yeah. But I would just, uh, okay, I'm hoping this is okay like that. Is there a certain ratio of soil that you plant roses in? Well, you just want to have a you know high organic content, so a lot of compost in it and that type of thing. So no, there's not specifically a ratio. You just want it very rich, the best soil you can possibly get, and you get good soil with uh, mixing compost in with your existing soils. Okay, I have a lot of clay. Yeah, everybody does. <laughs> so you, yeah, okay. so you gotta you gotta mix in a lot of compost with it to make it uh, viable. Okay, but then it doesn't hold hold uh, moisture that much. Well, I, I don't know what kind of compost you're using, but uh, compost has nothing to do with them. You're blending it in with your existing soil. Okay, 
Okay. Okay, I will do that. Thank you very much for your help. Sure. Good luck with that. Mike, Mil- Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, it is Mike Miller and 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Have any questions, concerns, or comments about your houseplants or your yard or whatever it happens to be? And Alex will answer the phone name and where you're living is all he needs. That's all I need. All right, here we go. Maxine right now. All right, Maxine. Hi, Mike. Hi. I have some strange spots on my spearmint plant. They look kind of diseased. I don't know what it is, how to treat it, or if any part of this plant is safe to eat. Uh, if it's just, you know, spearmints, all the mint family, they're pretty tough, durable. Is it outside or is it growing inside? Well, I have it in an enclosed patio. So, um, so it's does the rain and everything hit it? No, no. no. So... You know, it could be, you know, in relationship to who knows what, I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. Mints are pretty darn tough. If overall you're, you know, if you're worried about it, any of the leaves that have the spots, just don't, you know, use those. Uh But I don't think it's something you need to be overly concerned with. Okay. so The herbs just in general and mint, you know, it's a little bit different because there's, you know, they become so robust and so big and the stems get huge. But, uh... They want to be underwatered as opposed to overwatered. And oh, don't okay. do it and and don't fertilize them. Don't fertilize. Right. Okay. Or maybe right. once a year at the most, but they really want to be underfed to get the best taste, the best flavors, the best aromas out of the herbs. Okay. So maybe just pull off those leaves that have the spots on it. And... Right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. Operator error. Okay, now we're going to go to St. Charles and talk to Bill. Hi, Bill. Hi, how are you doing, sir? Very You're good. You're doing a fantastic job on our per program. <laughs> I got a question. We got a lot of flowers in our yard, and we have a bird bath. And when the rain comes and the bird bath fills all the way up, it's I should not water. But when it finally evaporates, it's time to water. How accurate is that? Well, as long as the bird bath, you know, within seven days, if the bird bath is one inch deep and you're getting a you know a full bird bath full of water due to rain, then you've got seven days after that fills up before you need to water. Well, that's what we're doing, and I try to tell my wife. She says, "Well, Mike says we got to water today." I says, "The bird bath still got water in it, and it's about two an inch. It's about a two inch." Bird bath. Yeah. So if there's probably about an inch of water in it right now. Right. So as long as it, you've had you know an inch of water within the last seven days, now maybe that water's been in there for a while. So you don't ever go out with a hose and fill your bird bath? No, sir. Oh, you don't? Wow, that's great. Most people do because they get some algae or, you know, the birds go in there and you the robins are flopping around and you, you'll get some, let's say, foul aspects in the water in the bird bath. But uh, you're doing everything. It sounds like perfect. Well, thank you, sir, and God bless you for it. Well, thank you. Goodbye. Okay, now we're going to head over to Hot Springs and talk to Rich. All right. Hi, Rich. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm very good. Good. Um, I have a hostas that are um, 
along the foundation of my house mm-hmm. and go up and down. Uh, we have a set of uh, concrete stairs there. Um, something's eating them. Um, I, I tried to do some research myself. It was suggested online it might be slugs. If they're like little streaks, you know, and it's not like the whole leaf being eaten, it certainly could be slugs. Okay. And they, they suggested um, a home remedy kind of uh, water, tea tree oil, and liquid dish soap to coat the leaves, and that would take care of it? Well, you could do it that way, or you can get just slug and snail bait and sprinkle it along the underside. But you can go out, like, right at sundown. That's when they're not going to feed during the heat of the day. But you can go out, like, at sundown or very early in the morning, look on the underside of the leaf. That's generally where they're going to be. They're not going to be on the top of the leaf. Okay, so, but there is a snail or slug Yeah, slug or snail bait, and you just sprinkle it around the base of your plants. So, in other words, they're not sleeping on the hosta. They kind of go down after they've eaten and move and where they hang out. Who knows? But, yeah, Yeah, if if they look like streaks, you know, let's say maybe an eighth of an inch long, maybe an eighth of an inch wide and maybe an inch long, that's definitely slugs eating them. Well, maybe that's not it because these are like holes and they turn brown around the edges after, you know, the holes there. Yeah. Is um, it just a single round hole, or is it like a streak? Lots of holes. Oh, yeah. It could be, you know, it could be the slugs, but uh, generally the slugs don't just eat a hole and then move to a different spot and eat another hole. They Once they start munching on something, they kind of munch and munch and munch and munch until they get full, and then that makes a streak as opposed to just a hole. This other, they also suggested planting mint around them <laughs> because they don't like the smell. Uh, really? That's, that's what one they on said. On, that's uh, what I read. Yeah, that's, I don't know. Mint in the a shaded area where the hosses do well, I don't know how well the mint's going to do. Okay. Thank you so much for your help. Sure. Yeah, that's, wow, I'm getting all kinds of things in there. Mint around hosta. For slugs. Hmm. Okay, now we're going to go to Maryville and talk to Dell. Hi, Dell. Hi, how are you? Very good. I've got an Alaskan cedar, uh, probably about 25 years old, and it's kind of uh, the inner branches are kind of the needles are brown. Right. Now the uh, outside branches are, are green, but uh, I don't know if I should fertilize it. It doesn't look like it has any insect infestation or anything like that. No, the interior needles on any kind of conifer, that's what happens. That's part of the natural growth process. So if you can look at you know, white pines, you can look at Austrian pines, you can look at cedars, you can look at arborvitae, the, the interior is always going to be brown as opposed to the exterior. If the exterior is healthy and looks good, then you're fine. Well, it doesn't look that good, the exterior. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, that the variety of plant that you have, and you've had it 25 years, that's really a, a tribute to you and to the success of that particular plant because they don't really like it here because of our environment, our heat, our craziness, and all that other stuff. Okay. Would you recommend fertilizing or not? Not necessarily. I mean, what you could do is go to your favorite garden center and get some iron sulfate. So in other words, you're going to change the soil pH. You're going to change it with the uh, sulfur, and then the plant can uptake some of the iron. Maybe it's iron deficient. Oh, 
Okay. All right. Yeah, but Thank just you. yeah, just regular fertilizer. Don't do that. You don't want to force some kind of growth, especially this time of year. Fertilizing, you know, any plants, even though you think winter's a long way away, but the time the plant uptakes and nutrients and everything else, and you know, it could push some growth out a little bit on the buds, which you don't even you're. It's not visually obvious to you, and then we have a severe winter. It could kill every, you know, pretty much kill the tips on anything at all. So no fertilizing this time of year. All right. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones. We're headed. Okay, we're going to go talk to David. Hi, David. Hey, Mike. How are you? Very good. Good. To uh, plant uh, some evergreens. Uh, I live out in the uh, Wildwood area, and what I'm looking to do is uh, create a year-round border between myself and, and a neighbor. Um, and what I thought I was uh, wanted to run by you is, is transplanting wild cedars from out in the woods uh, to my yard. Wanted to get your thoughts on that. I wouldn't advise it because the native cedars can get a disease if there's any kind of crab apples, apples, or any of that family of plant materials, trees, in close proximity, they could get a disease called cedar apple rust, which could cause some major down, you know, downhill turns. If you're going to try to use junipers, I would buy the junipers. You don't have to do this, but buy the junipers who historically came from Japan because they do not get the cedar apple rust. The cedar apple rust will be galls on the actual juniper, which will be like sort of mushy orange things, and it could be devastating just as a time when you're starting to get, let's say, the aesthetics of the junipers that you've transplanted, you know, into the location. So you're just taking a big chance by you, by doing that. Yeah, I, I thought it would be a less expensive route to go, and, and I think from what I understand, wild cedars are fast-growing tree and, and that was the, the second uh, that was right. the second objective i wanted was something fast growing. yeah i mean the japanese ones are going to be just equally as you know fast growing but uh yeah i mean give it a try can, um, just, okay and if i would do that would you suggest i assume the fall would be the best time uh yeah anytime you know so let's say during dormancy so fall is a good time it, ideally i don't know what size you're going to be digging up but if you could dig them up and you know you're going to have to have the spot ready that you're going to move them to basically immediately. You don't want to leave them just kind of sitting above the ground or anything else. So one at a time or a few at a time or dig them up and put them in pots and then sort of lay, leave them for one, let's say, winter time in a pot and see how well they do. Okay. Yeah, obviously I'd like to get the bigger ones. I, I, I kind of figured, though, the, the bigger the, the tree, the more work and the less likely it would survive is that also yeah, right. true. That's exactly okay. right. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Good luck with that. We're going to go to North County and talk to Rich. Hi, Rich. Hello, Rich. Are you there? Mm. A lot of hissing. Okay. Moving on. We're going to go talk to Sandy and Mar- or Sandra in Maryland Heights. Hi, Sandra. 
Sandra, are you there? Mm-mm. Don't sound like they're there. Okay. Go ahead. Sandra, go ahead. Don't listen to your radio. Listen to the phone. All right, let's move on again. Try uh, Yolanda. Hi, Yolanda. Wow, what's going on here? Yolanda, you're there? Or is this John? Hello? Hi, John. Go ahead, John. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Yeah, we've got a large... Uh, Gardenia, a bush in a big pot, bloomed earlier, putting out a lot of new growth, got good color, loaded with buds, but those buds swell to the point where you can start to see some white, the stems turn yellow and they're dropping off. To be honest with you, gardenias are very difficult, and this is just more or less, more than likely the process that happens with them. So they form the buds. But, you know, there's something environmentally just not exactly right so they can actually push the flowers open. So even though there's the foliage... Not a, moisture, not a moisture or fertilization problem. No, not necessarily. If the foliage looks good, then no, it's not that at all. It's just the fact that gardenias are not necessarily the best, let's say, plant to have as a house plant. Even if you put it outside in the summertime and everything else. Now, last hour, we had a lady that called the her gardenias... She's had great luck with them for years and years and years, flowering, growth, and everything else. But in reality, that is the exception rather than the rule. I'm wondering maybe if it had so many buds on it, it's just aborting some of them. Well, I mean, that could be the case, but if they're all dropping, then it's just... If you go online and look at gardenia flower buds, it'll talk about they drop, they drop, they drop, they drop. Okay, well... Appreciate your help. Yeah, I'm sorry I couldn't. I mean, there's not really something that can be done that's going to make all that much difference. If the, Again, the foliage looks good. The stems look good. They're forming the buds. And why they don't open, that's just kind of one of those quirky things. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Yep. Okay, now we're going to head over to Creepcore and talk to Martha. Hi, Martha. Good morning. Good morning. I have two things. One... I bought, I've been looking for poppies for several years. I love poppies. And I finally bought it early enough that I found some. I put them in a pot, but it's a good-sized pot. And they've, they're green. It looks like they've put out a few new leaves, but I want my flowers. <laughs> Any suggestions? It might be just maturity. Now, did you grow them from a plant or did you grow them from seed? I bought them as a plant. Now they were, they did, yeah, so they did not have flowers on them when you bought them? No. Okay. So then basically it's going to be a maturity thing as much as anything. Certain plants, they have to be sort of in a situation for, you know, a couple of years before they're going to start flowering, and that's probably to the advantage of the overall health of the plant. Flowering on anything can really stress the plant out, so I say you're just going to have to be, you know, patient. Okay. Do they? I mean, is it any problem having them in a pot rather than the ground? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, you should be able to grow them in a as long as the pot's adequate, as long as the foliage looks good, then you're doing everything you possibly can. 
How about watering? How much do they need water? They don't. The, the foliage, and I don't know what variety of poppy you have, but there's lots of different types. But consequently, if the, let's say the leaves are really kind of skinny, then you want less water. Okay. I try to water when they look a little dry, and then I fertilize them every, I fertilize them maybe three, time, three times since I've had them. Yeah, you probably, you're, that's probably enough fertilizer for this year. Okay. So just, you know, just kind of keep your fingers crossed and have good luck with them. I mean, poppies are not, let's say they're not native to here. I mean, you can see big fields of them in California and the Smoky Mountains and all these other places, but not necessarily you don't see them here at all. So it's a tough environment for them, just weather-wise in general. I grew up with them. We had them on the side of our house, and that was in kind of the Louisville, Kentucky area. Right. And they were gorgeous. Right. So this is a different environment than that is. Okay, next question. Uh, you're going to have to do it. You have to do it real quickly because we're like about. Spanish lavender. Uh, when I bought them, they were gorgeous. Now I cut the heads off of them because they just look dried up and dead. Any suggestions on Spanish lavender? Don't water. Leave it alone. Lavender is okay. again, you know, it's an herb. It's a tough thing to do. So anyway, th- thanks everybody that called in. Sorry we didn't get to everybody, but uh, I guess I'll be here next week on your show and again thank you for having me on your show if you were not there i would not be here enjoy the heat and the humidity this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.